I've been enjoying and appreciating the continuity of getting into a book and staying with it for a while. I'm beginning to feel like maybe my ears are becoming Philippian. That's that's a, not a, a bad thing. in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have told you before, and I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious I was going to introduce my brother to you, but somebody already did that. She was worried that I was not. But I did forget an announcement that Pamela Dudley asked me to make, so I want to share that we still need um, people to help in the baby nursery and toddler area. So um, if you have a real heart for little people, um, this would be a great place for you to get involved in. If you are interested in that, you can let family know that. Young children, a sister and a brother from a patriotic family were playing church together. They recited at the end of the mock church, the boy and the family cited at the end of the mock church service, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the girl continued in a strong voice, and the republic for which it stands. Um, this, this playing church scene illustrates an issue that we as Christians face. We are dual citizens. For years it was recognized in this country that the best citizens were dual citizens. Citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ first and citizens of the U.S. This quote from Samuel Adams after signing the Declaration of Independence says as much. And this is that quote. We have this day restored the sovereign to whom alone men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven and with a propitious eye beholds his subjects assuming that freedom of thought and dignity of self-direction which he... He bestowed on them. From the rising of the setting sun, may his kingdom come. Can you imagine one of our leaders saying that today? As Christians, we're caught between two worlds and two realms of existence. We're citizens of two kingdoms. But as Christian recording artists, how many of you knew who Larry Norman is? Remember Larry Norman? Hey, there's a few of us who do. 
Larry Norman said it this way, we are only visiting this planet. The Philippians could relate to the idea of dual citizenship. Philippi was roughly 600 miles away from Rome. It was built basically by retired Roman soldiers. And though they lived in Philippi and Macedonia, these people were citizens of Rome. That's where their allegiance was. They didn't want to speak the language of Macedonia. They wanted to speak the language of Rome. When they put their children to bed at night, they did not tell stories of Macedonia. They told stories of Rome. Paul applies then this culture to the idea of being a citizen of heaven. He's telling the Philippian church and us about the characteristics of of Christian citizens living temporarily in this world. And so he begins in verse 17 by saying this, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul has made similar appeals in some of his other letters. In 2 Thessalonians 3.7 he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6 he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1 he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So, It's not unusual for Paul to say something like this. Follow my example. Isn't it great if we can say that? (laughs) And it's okay to say that? We're setting the kind of example that others can follow? You know, from what I know about 12-step programs, anyone who is in recovery is supposed to have a sponsor, correct? A sponsor serves as a motivator an encourager, and a source of accountability. And mentoring is then an important part of discipleship as well. We need mature Christians to help us on our journey. I don't know about you, but in my life as a, as a Christian, I've had people that I've looked up to and have mentored me along the way, and we, we need that. And Paul here is not being some kind of braggart when he says, Hey, look at me, follow my example. Look look at what he's already said back in verse 12 of this same chapter, chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he's not saying by following my example, well, do that because I've all got it all together and I finally arrived. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, He has attained a level of maturity. He has gained understanding. And he lives his life in such a way that he can be looked to as a godly example worthy of imitating. Make sense? Okay? Basically what he's saying is, I'm farther along the way than you are. And you can look to me as a godly example. Let's learn from the elephants. Shall we, for just a moment? There's an interesting story about African elements, elephants. Maybe elements, too, I don't know. In an attempt to thin out uh, this one herd, the authorities killed off a number of the older males and moved a group of females and young bulls to another area. It was not too long after the move 
that white rhinos in the area were being killed, not by poachers, but by the young bulls who are trying to prove their elephanthood. I guess that's what elephants do. One elephant, one elephant even organized a gang that began attacking tourist buses. To solve the problem, the authorities shot some of the troublemakers, but then they came up with a better solution. They released a few older males from another area into the troubled neighborhood. The older males immediately began to bring the young bulls into line. It would appear that the young, young elephants did not know how to act in their day-to-day living without the example of older elephants to teach them. In this case older bull elephants. Learning by example, then, is not restricted to just the animal kingdom. Just as elephants needed an example to follow so that they knew how to behave in day-to-day living, so also we need examples to follow in our day-to-day Christian living. And And to the Philippians, Paul is saying, I... And those like me are examples that you can follow. And then he goes into this bit of a conversation about examples to avoid. He says, those who live as citizens of this earth are enemies of Jesus. In fact, he says this with tears. Paul weeps over worldly-minded people who profess to be Christians. He isn't talking about non-believers, but people in the church. I mean, the Philippians understood that, you know, the secular world out there, we can't go there. They understood that. The danger came from those within the church who claimed to be Christians but didn't live that way. Nothing more dangerous than a professing Christian who is worldly in his thoughts and actions. Generally, anyone can be said to be an enemy of the cross who leads people away from Christ, either by their words or deeds, even if it's unintentionally. And it was those people that Paul was talking about in this passage. The New Beacon Bible Commentary says this, But why were they enemies of the cross? Most likely, these these many did not openly challenge the message of the cross, nor would they have considered themselves to be its enemies. The issue at stake is not so much wrong teaching as it is wrong living. You know, you've heard about the thing, you have to walk your talk. Well, these were people who weren't. They are enemies of the cross because their whole manner of living is a denial of the revelation of God in Christ whose self-emptying led to death on the cross. They claim to be Christians but fail completely to see the relevance of chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 for their own lives. Let's review that really quickly. Verses 6 through 11 of chapter 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the opening verse that introduces us to that passage says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And they were missing that point. So, unfortunately, it's these people and others that Jesus will say someday, I never knew you. And Paul says these people, first of all, their destiny is destruction. The destruction that enemies of Christ experience begins with the natural consequences they experience right now in this world. They reap the consequences of their sin and the kind of lives they live. And we've seen how destructive behaviors do that in people's lives, have we not? You don't have to look far to see that. And then their, their destruction is concluded and complete in being kept out of heaven for eternity. And the Bible talks about hell, a place of destruction. Or eventually it says Satan and his demons and hell them, and all of those with him will be thrown into what's called the lake of fire. Eternal destruction. I don't know if you remember the actor Dick York. Um, he used to co-star with Elizabeth Montgomery on this old TV series, Bewitched. He never became a big Hollywood star, but he was a good, solid, supporting actor. He made a decent living at it. About three years before his death, a news article was published with a picture of York, only 60 years old at that time, but looking much older. He was attached to an oxygen tank. He was suffering from emphysema. He had, he had injured his back, which left him in constant pain. He was virtually bedridden. The article told of his decline into poverty. He had wasted all his money. He was living in a borrowed home and on welfare. In the article, he was quoted as saying, blame it on heavy smoking, blame it on overindulgence with drugs, blame it on bad luck, blame it on whatever you, on whatever you choose, but I'm the one who lost. And that story is repeated over and over and over again, or something similar to that in our culture. It's the consequences of sin that we begin to live with in this life. So not only are we dying physically, but we can also be dying spiritually. It's that slow progression of ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit, of refusing to heed conviction and choosing to do what I want to do, rather than being obedient to God. You know who I think of when I think of this kind of downward progression is Solomon. Think about the story of Solomon, how, how well he started and how poorly he finished. And it was a series of compromises over his life, just choosing not to listen to God anymore and begin to do what he wanted to do. And someone, you know, he could have been, like his father David, one of the greatest kings of Israel, But because of the choices he made, that slow progression in the wrong direction, he ended badly. You know, what happens then is 
even in, in Christian lives, uh, as we refuse to heed the conviction and, and the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our, our standards become lowered. We become insensitive to the sin that's prevalent in our culture. We, we get used to the smell of garbage. I, I did a thing on that for teens one time. We just become so exposed to the things that we should be disturbed about that we're not disturbed about those things anymore. We're no longer shocked by the vulgarity that assaults us on TV screens. We're not repulsed by the immorality constantly being paraded before us. In fact, we can begin to give our tacit approval to such things. You know, much of our nation is dying spiritually, drawing further and further away from God. In almost no public arena is God given a hearing anymore. Kind of takes us back to what Samuel Adams said, doesn't it? Samuel Adams. John Adams. Isn't Samuel Adams a beer brand or something? I've got to go to the altar for Not only are we dying physically, and many are, but many are dying spiritually as well. And without Christ, they will die eternally. For the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Those who live for this world, their God is, all, their God is self-gratification. Romans 16.18 Paul, speaking of people like this, says, For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Um, Interesting that uh, in in the passage here, he talks about, um, and their glory is, excuse me, and their God is their stomach. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, that's what we're talking about is the literal stomach, and I, it can apply to that. Um, we do have a problem in our country with unhealthy diets and overeating. You read that in stuff on health all the time. But here I think Paul was describing of people who live for themselves and live to feed their own uncontrollable appetites for sin. Those who are focused on the things of earth worship their appetites as if they were their gods. In every civilization, in every time and place, there have been these kinds of individuals who deny themselves nothing that they desire, and those things become their god. There was an ad on TV years ago, and it was a beer ad, but the tagline was this. You only go around once in life, so you've got to grab for all the gusto you can. That typifies the attitude of self-gratification. I mean, this life is all there is, so, so I'm going to go for all the thrills, uh, all the money, all the pleasure I can, all the highs I can. I'm going to collect all the stuff I can. And you don't have to look far to see people who live that way, do you? 
And so they live to feed their appetites. Their gods are their appetites. And then Paul goes on to say, um, and their glory is in their shame. Their pride, what they take pride in is disgraceful. These kinds of individuals boast about the very things that should make them ashamed. They're actually proud of their sins. Now, they might be the ruthless, ruthless business person who boasts about their dishonest gains. They might be the adulterer who boasts about their ability to manage their secret encounters. But you know what? Sexual sin is a dominant part of this picture in the world we live in. We're talking about everything from the free love of the 60s to the present emphasis in our culture on same-sex marriage and the ever-changing definitions of what gender is and the behaviors that go along with that. And Paul speaks of these things in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for degrading their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men who also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, they, so that they do what they ought not to be done. What ought not to be done. And then in, in Ephesians 5.12 It says this, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. One of the issues we face in our culture is that those shameful things are now out in the open. We are confronted with these lifestyles and those who engage in them in the news, on talk shows, in advertising, in movies, and in television programs. And there is a tendency to commend these folks for their honesty and courage. Now, this is an an old example, but it was kind of... It was one of those things hard to believe. Wilt Chamberlain. In 1991... You know who Wilt Chamberlain is, a basketball star from... In 1991, Chamberlain wrote a book called A View from Above. He detailed his life in the NBA and his views on all-time basketball greats. In the book, Chamberlain made a claim about his love life that's widely debated to this day. In A View from Above, Chamberlain claimed he slept with 20,000 different women throughout his life. Even with all the mind-numbing stats Chamberlain put up in the league, that might, that might be even a more unbelievable number, his claim about his... Yes. And he says, I was just doing what was natural, chasing good-looking ladies, whoever they were, wherever they were. 
Chamberlain wrote his book when he was 55 years old. That means he had to sleep with 500 different women every year from ages 15 to 55 to reach the massive number he claimed. And so this thing that should be secret, that should be ashamed of, he's touting in his book. Hey, everybody, look what I did. And the things that they glory in that should truly be their shame will result in God's judgment. And then he finishes this portion by saying, and their focus is earthly. Well, yeah, that's exactly what we've been talking about. For these individuals, their whole focus and orientation is the things of this world. Again, it's this idea that this is all there is. So I might as well go for the gusto while I'm here. This is all there is. God's not a part of the picture at all. Except He will be. So they're, they're caught up in what Paul refers to in Colossians 2.8 as hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the ele- elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That's how they live according to this hollow and deceptive philosophy based on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. We know who's behind this stuff, don't we? And as a result, they are spiritually blind and deaf. And here's Paul's primary point. Don't live like these individuals. Don't follow their example for their destiny is destruction. Oh, but then he begins, moves on and talks about, but our citizenship is in, in heaven. See, Christians in the early church, and still do, frankly, have to make a choice. They tried to live by the biblical principle of being submissive to government authorities. And Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 13. But when the leaders told them, as an example, told them, to preach and teach no more in the name of Jesus, they said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Their ultimate allegiance was to God. In the Roman world, citizenship defined both a person's ethical behavior and one's true allegiance. The Greek word translated as citizenship is the word from which we get the English word politics. This has to do with one's behavior as a citizen of a nation. Paul is pointing out the characteristics of the Christian whose citizenship is in heaven. And although, and I made references to this earlier, although the Philippians lived in Macedonia, their real homeland was, was not Rome, although for many of the citizens there, that was where their allegiance was. But their home, the Philippian believers, was in heaven. See, the majority of Philippians held Roman citizenship. And because they had this citizenship, they enjoyed special privileges. And they were proud of that. They were proud of being Roman citizens. So so Paul is making no mistake in writing these words with this message of Roman citizenship 
and Philippi, they understood this concept. We live in Macedonia, but our citizenship is in Rome. They understood that. Just as Philippi, as Philippi was a colony of Rome on foreign soil, so the church is a colony of heaven on earth. Oh, I hope it does feel like that. Does it feel like that? Just as Philippi was a colony of Rome on foreign soil, so the church is a colony of heaven on earth. We live in a nation which has previously declared itself to be under God. And we've been blessed with many freedoms and privileges over the year as a result. But unfortunately, things are changing. And when one's nation, whatever nation that might be, commands us to disobey what God has clearly said in His Word, then we, as Christians, must go disobey that nation and obey God. That's our first allegiance. Amen? And it's a difficult choice, no doubt about it. But our highest allegiance must be to Jesus Christ because our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17. through 17. John writes to us, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And in James chapter 4, verse 4, James writes, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, makes us an enemy of God? So, loving the world means loving the value system of the world. Many Christians today love the world's value system. But they don't love the, value, the things that God values. We love materialism, we love pleasure, we love popularity, we love prestige, we love passion, possessions, position. But God loves people and He wants us to love them too. And if you're going to be a friend of God, then you've got to care about what He cares about and stop caring about the things He doesn't care about. God doesn't care about your image. He's not interested in your popularity or your net worth. He might be interested in what you do with your net worth, but see, He's interested in our character. Not how you look, or, but rather who you are. And an essential step toward friendship with God means choosing to value what God values. And you think about that. You think about the Ten Commandments of what they say and things like honesty, integrity, and walking in holiness, obedience to the Scripture. And having heavenly values does not mean that believers are to ne- totally neglect the affairs of of earth with a a constant contemplation on eternity. We live here. We have to deal with the stuff of life, don't we? 
It just means that believers are not to be concerned only with the things of the temporal. When heavenly values dominate our minds, they will produce godly behavior and make us more like the Christ that we love. And, and, and Paul then begins, he ends this session or this passage with, with a focus on a couple of things. He said, but our citizenship is, he- is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as citizens of heaven, their hope and our hope is the second coming. Jesus is coming back. Some people are going to be really surprised. Jesus said, Jesus said, I shall return long before General Douglas MacArthur ever said that. As the apostles stood looking into the sky after the ascension of Jesus, the angels said, this is from Acts chapter 1, verse 11, this same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. In John 14, Jesus comforted his, his apostles with the idea of going to prepare a place for them in God's heavenly kingdom, His mansions. And He promised, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, to, to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's what Jesus, yeah, Ju, Julie was talking about this morning. And I'm not surprised that she doesn't want her own house. But You know, uh, uh, both my brothers and I are the kind of guys that when we're retired, we want to move to a place where we don't have any neighbors close. But we won't be able to do that <laughs> because we're married to ladies who do want neighbors close. <laughs> They need somebody to talk to, I guess. So, And then some of the final words in the final book of the New Testament are these words. He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus speaking, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. For the Christian, a citizen of heaven, the promise of His coming is not spoken with a sense of dread or apprehension, but with a spirit of joyful expectation. Rejoice for your redemption draweth nigh. Yes. It's going to be, the sad thing is it's going to be a horrible day for some folks. It is. The sure return of Jesus undergirds our confidence and hope as his disciples and citizens of heaven. And then the other thing says, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We were talking this morning about some of the unpleasantries of aging. Yeah, we're we're laughing about that because so many of us can relate to it. When Jesus returns, we have the assurance of a resurrected body. Now, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to be like, 
But I know after Jesus was resurrected, he did some kind of amazing things, like showed up in rooms that had locked doors. And the word lowly here, he transform our lowly bodies. The word lowly in verse 21 points to our body's weaknesses. You know, the disease, the aging, the pain, and even death that come with this territory, with this thing that we inhabit while we're on this earth. At the time of Christ's second coming, and because we have walked in obedience, our bodies will be changed. They will be glorious, powerful, honorable, spiritual, immortal, all because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the day we were saved and began carrying a set of papers with a cross of Christ emblazoned upon them, in a sense, essentially it's like we have temporary visas to be on this planet. We're just visiting. You could say we're carrying green cards. We're just working here for a while. You know, I love our flag. I'm a patriotic citizen of the U.S. I love my country. And I know many share these strong feelings of respect and pride regarding our country. However, my first allegiance is as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we need to be reminded where our citizenship lies and what our responsibilities are to the kingdom of our first allegiance. Maybe we need to see ourselves more clearly as just immigrants, as strangers in this land, as citizens of another nation of the kingdom of God. Are we individuals whose lives are oriented toward this world or Are we oriented beyond this world to eternity? Do our goals, hopes, and values reflect the higher order of things to which we are called as citizens of heaven? The Apostle Paul was a citizen of heaven even though he was a dweller on earth and in fact a Roman citizen. What Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he gave them when he wrote this passage, he gave them a nice summary of the things that I've been talking about in this message this morning. He said, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your Savior appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Remember, we are only visiting this planet. Right? I, I know for a lot of us, it, this is it. This, I mean, for a lot of people, this is it. This is our forever right here. But folks, that's not true. You know what, if I had, if this was a giant whiteboard and I could draw a line from one side to the other side that represented eternity, you know what our lives would be on that line? A pinprick. 
That's it. And yet, we invest so much. And Paul's trying to get us to think otherwise. No, 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 no. We're here for just a while. We're just visiting the planet, this planet. Our home is in heaven. And we need to live that way. Amen? Father, thank you for this great reminder that Paul has shared with us today through this passage that he wrote to the Philippians so that they would have this reminder as well. You know, they, they had this issue of dual citizenship. I mean, many of them were citizens of the Roman Empire, and that's where their allegiance lay, not in Philippi or Macedonia, but in Rome. And so they get this idea of, but our ultimate allegiance is not to our citizenship of a city or a state or a country. It's, it's to heaven. It's to Jesus Christ. That's the eternal thing. Our citizenship as people who live in the United States of America will end someday. But if we know Jesus, our citizenship in heaven will never end. And I know it's hard. We, we're bound by time. We think in terms of seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. And so to have that eternal perspective is difficult for us. And yet, Lord God, we need to remember that really our time on this planet is almost nothing compared to eternity and where we will spend eternity and that places on us then an urgency to live as citizens of heaven and then to call others who don't know, who haven't heard, who are living as citizens of this earth, call them to the saving grace and power of Jesus Christ so that they too can be citizens of heaven eternally because we do not want anyone to face eternal destruction. And Lord God, that has everything to do with your values and who you love and your desires and purposes and hopes for us as people. You did not make hell for us. You made hell for Satan and his demons. Your desire is that we would all be in heaven, but we have a choice to make. You do not send anyone to hell. It's a choice we make. And Father, we can choose to be citizens of the earth. That can be our entire goal. That's how we can live. Or we can choose to be citizens of heaven and live accordingly. And Lord God, may that be something that's on our minds and in our hearts all the time. So that we don't get caught up in the stuff of this life. Although we have to live it, we understand that. But Lord, are able to look beyond to the eternity that you have for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. And thank you that that is our hope. There's a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained. And our citizenship is there, and we thank you for that. And we bless your name and praise you that we can look forward to spending eternity with Jesus, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for your attention. May you go in his grace and peace today. You're dismissed.